You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Ho, ho, ho. What do you want for Christmas, little dude? I want a pair of fuel ice tools from Black Diamond. They're the baddest tools in the land, Santa. <laughs> no can do. You'll bash your teeth out, kid. Ho, ho. Next. Okay, hop up here, little girl. What do you want for Christmas? I want a pair of stinger crampons from Black Diamond. They're the best crampons out there for getting freaky-deaky on the smallest edges. I don't think so. You'll trip and puncture wound your calf, kid. Next. I suppose you want some ice gear from BD2, eh, kid? You know it, Santa. I need a set of express ice screws from Black Diamond. They have advanced tooth geometry. I don't know what that is, but it sounds cool. Wait. Are you a kid or a water bottle? Never mind, Santa. Don't you know the leader is never supposed to fall? All right, boys and girls, listen up. Even though I live at the North Pole... You are listening to the Enormo Cast. Hey, folks. Have you been waffling about renewing your Access Fund membership? Or joining for the first time? Or maybe you're just feeling like you should donate some money because you love climbing and hate the government. Well, I know waffles are delicious, but now's the time to put down your phone, then pick it up again, but this time close TikTok, and go to accessfund.org because from the 4th to the 16th of December, Black Diamond is matching your donations up to 80 grand. Hell, if you've got 80 grand lying around, why not just cut the suspense and get this over with by donating all of it today? Black Diamond needs climbers. Nay, they are climbers. And climbers need climbing. Voila, this all makes sense. The Access Fund is our tireless guardian at the gates against closures, abuse, overuse, and overreach by the government. So hurry up and help Black Diamond spend its money to protect your climbing today. And if you hear this after the 16th of December, 2023, I hope the future is bright, but you're way overdue to join the Access Fund. That's accessfund.org. Join today. 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 Well, howdy, folks. It's me, your Yeti Yonder Water Bottle. And I hope you don't mind me woodshedding some of these tasty blues riffs while we talk. Now you might be thinking, well golly yonder, you play guitar too? You're the most amazing water bottle I've ever laid my thirsty eyes upon. And while it's true, I am amazing. It's not my guitar chops that get me there. It might be my convenient and clippable handle. It might be that I come in several sizes. But I'm betting it's my two holes that make me amazing. I got a big hole for filling and a small hole for swilling. And that big hole means you can drop in your drink mix, ice, or whatever other special potion you think might get you to the chains. Also, when you forget about me in your pack for three weeks, it makes cleaning the scuzz out that much easier. And then, the small hole means you can enjoy splash-free guzzling after that particularly cotton-mouth-inducing lead you just sent, you sick bird. Check me out and all the amazingly well-built and innovative products at Yeti.com or a fine outdoor retailer near you. And tell them Yonder sent you. No, seriously, try that and see what kind of looks you get. All right, boys, let's take them out of here. One, two, three. Listen, uh, uh, where are you playing in town? You, you playing here? We're doing the, uh, the Normo Dome, whatever it is. It's terrific. Oh, it's yeah, big place that side of town. That's a big nice. place. You sold oh, it out. I'll see. We really should. Uh, the hell?
hell are you doing? I couldn't sleep. I'm checking the ropes. There was a freight end on your rope, and I'm cutting it out. Today's show is brought to you by Black Diamond Equipment, La Sportiva, and with support from Maxim Ropes. Maxim has been keeping the normal cast off the deck since 2012. And now we can also thank the chill folks at Yeti. And don't forget our charter sponsor, Bonfire Coffee. Go to bonfirecoffee.com and entry Normo at checkout to get a great deal on great coffee and to support the Enormacast. And now back to the show. Hello and welcome to the Enormacast. This is your host, Chris Kalouz. It is November 21st, 2023, about 11 o'clock Central Time. And this is episode 275 of the Enormacast, a conversation with Finnish climber. Anna Leitinen. And that's right, I'm in Wisconsin, Central Time, for Thanksgiving. I'm literally coming to you from my parents' basement, which, you know, in podcast land is kind of funny. I don't live here, but I am in my parents' basement for this special intro of the Enormacast. And here's something that's different about this trip to the Arctic wasteland that is Wisconsin in November. Actually, it's a lot warmer than it used to be, just like everywhere else in the world. However, a little bit grim, nevertheless. But there is a new climbing gym in Green Bay, Wisconsin. I have not been there yet. We're going to try to go this afternoon. But that is a big deal for me and my wife when we come to Wisconsin and eat the food that is served in Wisconsin and drink the drinks and all the sweets and everything else that goes with the holidays. It's called Odyssey Climbing and Fitness. They're not paying me in any way to promote their climbing gym. I haven't even been there. It might stink. But the pictures look good online. It's new, so I would hope they would build it in a modern way. However, the and fitness part, that's always a little bit of a worrisome tag on a climbing gym's name. Sorry, you guys. But yeah, it's, it's sometimes a bit of a red flag. But we'll see. We're looking forward to immersing ourselves in the Green Bay climbing community while we're here in Wisconsin. And remember, I will be back in the Midwest for the Michigan Ice Fest coming up in February. Look it up, michiganicefest.org.gov.com, Ice Fest. Just Google it. Anyway, I'll be up there in February, back to the Midwest again. And a quick little promo for a local event coming up in Basalt, Colorado, in the Roaring Fork Valley where I live. The Roaring Fork Valley. I'm Chris Caboose. Boop, boop. Some of you will get that one. Anyway, it's coming up on Thursday, December 7th, and it's the Climbing Film Tour, which is a tour of climbing films. Fairly on the nose title for that. But in that tour is a film by a local filmmaker, Michelle Smith, and it's called Transcendence, about a, uh, a guy who lost his leg. He was a cyclist and turned to climbing, so it should be pretty fascinating. That tour's going around the nation, so look it up if you don't live in the valley, and if you do, come on up and check it out at the Art Center at Willits, also known as Taka. Tickets online at their website, which is tacaw.org or climbingfilmtour.com for dates around the nation. And watching climbing movies with a crowd at an event 
maybe with some cocktails, is way more fun than sitting in your room by yourself and watching them on your computer. That's just been proven scientifically. Okay, let's get to Anna Lightnin. She was on the Western Slope, climbed with some friends, climbing in rifle, ding, drink. And I hit her up and she was extremely enthusiastic about getting an interview done. Came to the house, so we got a face-to-face one. And, you know, I've only known Anna for an hour and a half. That's the amount of time we spent together. But I had a really great time hanging out with her. Great energy, loves climbing, loves the scene, loves the culture. Just an awesome representative for Finnish climbing. Anyway, I had a really good time. The other thing that's cool about Anna is she's the type of professional who gets down in the dirt with the rest of us. She was just camping out in rifle with some friends, didn't even have a car. It's getting moved around the country, went over to the red. I think she's still there in the red. And frankly, I don't always trust professional climbers that don't do that. You know, that sort of breeze in with their crew and then breeze on out and don't ever just sit in the dirt, sit around the fire, talk shit. The kind of pros I love hang out with the people, us people. The filthy, groveling masses. Well, Anna's a woman of the people. So I hope you love this one as much as I did. A conversation with Anna Lightning. When you pull a new pair of mountain boots or climbing shoes from the box, do the possibilities for adventure seize your soul? Do you deeply inhale the essence and quality through your flared nostrils? Do you have to quell the urge to strip to your skivvies, pull them on, and bound around the house like a proud, lithe gazelle, shouting, look at me, look at me, look at me, I'm free. Well, if you answered no, or even maybe, to any of these questions, then you're probably not wearing Sportivas. Yet. You see, the euphoria of getting a new pair of Sportivas, the quality, the style, the reservoir of potential energy simmering in their souls has been known to inspire mania, from the crustiest alpinist to the most sullen, sad-faced sport climber. So if you want to feel unadulterated, childlike joy in your life again, well, maybe put down your phone for five goddamn minutes. Or go to Sportiva.com, or better yet, your favorite shop, and stop, stare, smell, feel a new pair of Sportiva shoes. And then hurry to the counter and buy them before security gets there. Yeah, but a lot of people have asked me, like, have you seen Nale? So it's because I'm Finnish, but it doesn't mean that I see him. Like, no one sees him. Like, he's training at night mm-hmm. if he's in Finland. And I might see him, like, super randomly. Like, one time in the eastern part of Finland during the pandemics, like, I was traveling a lot around in Finland. And uh sun had went down and it was, like, getting pitch black. And we were still climbing with the headlamps on. and. I saw two cars coming. This place was like kind of middle of nowhere. Like no one knows where that boulder is. Mm-hmm. And then I saw Nale and we were just like climbing. And that happens a lot. Like right. uh, one time when I went back to Finland just for one day to do this one slideshow, I tried to keep the same rhythm as I had in stay. So like I was training at night when I was in Finland. And that's when I saw knowledge too. So I was like, wow. Like, yeah. Yeah. So I just see him like really randomly. He just comes out of the night <laughs> once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it's sort of this Clem Loscott journey. Do you know, do you know that name? Clem Loscott? He was, uh, I think he was Swiss. I don't know. He's, but he, you know, he's famous for the Seco block video, the old one, the 
Clem Lascott and Two Smoking Barrels or whatever the original like Seco Block video. Yeah, so he did the same thing. He like was you know the super famous guy and climbing super hard, and then he just like yeah. But I mean, you've got to do that for your own personal reasons. I think you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, yeah. and I feel like uh, Finnish climbers are quite introverted. Okay. Yeah, so we kind of need our fitness moments. So we like disappear. <laughs> but like, uh, I really like being with people. But mm-hmm. sometimes I just need that. I need to charge my social batteries. And right. like, uh, if I'm in a festival, I'm like, hey guys, sorry, I need my Finnish moments. So I might just disappear in the forest and then I come back and right. I'm good. Yeah. Go hit the nearest sauna. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, man, there's... <laughs> yeah, the best saunas are, I mean, abroad, are the ones that Nale has built. Oh, right. Yeah, like one time, I mean, on my first trip to Rocklands, I heard that, hey, here's a sauna. I was like, what? That's weird. And then I saw Nale <laughs> again, like, <laughs> having his towel around right. him. Yeah. And you're like, that's a solid sauna. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, during the pandemics, when Nale was also like forced to be in Finland, mm-hmm. on that trip, when I was in the eastern part of Finland, in this lake part of Finland, I... I saw a sauna van. <laughs> so he'd have built a sauna van. Like everywhere he goes, he's building a sauna. That's ridiculous. Nice. I, I love it. Yeah. And is it as big a part of Finnish life as I, I'm making it out to be? Yeah. yeah. And um, I just moved to a new apartment with my boyfriend and we're also having a sauna. My life feels completed. Right on. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That was a line that I wanted to get on was, was Finnish life and how it relates to climbing it's notoriously flat um it's kind of like just forests lakes swampland um, yeah. or, or like whatever that translates into in a in a in a temperate climate like that or yeah. a cold climate like that but it's um, really humid yeah, yeah it is humid right so it's one of these places where it's not it doesn't seem necessarily natural to have a climbing community but the one thing i've done or i've realized doing this show, but I, I might have kind of realized it before, is that a lot of times these places where it's not quite, you know, the Alps aren't out your back door, like the community can almost seem more psyched and like more rabid for climbing. You know, like when I talk to someone who who's in the Midwest here in the United States and they they are like almost like fiending even more for climbing. I mean, what is, how would you characterize like the Finnish climbing scene as small as it is, as big as it is, like who who's in it? I mean, the climbing scene in Finland, it's actually really big right now. Okay. Yeah. But I would say that we're psyched. Like whenever we go abroad, we're stoked. Like there's no such a thing as bad rock or shitty line. We're like, well, if this would be in Finland, it would be like five star line. I mean, like we have a lot of really <laughs> totally. good stuff, but we're not spoiled. Right. Yeah. So like on my first trip to Colorado, we went to uh, Rocky Mountains National Park to mm-hmm. do some bouldering and when we passed this one V8 boulder in the end of the day I was like hey I want to I would not climb this one like let's put the pads down and everyone was like really you really want to try this one I was like yeah it looks cool <laughs> yeah so that's when I realized that like they thought it was that, just like kind of one of the not so great routes up there yeah and why bother with it sure it yeah. was done but yeah but you were psyched yeah I I feel like uh, we don't mind that much of the weather. Like, you know, this like old saying, like there's no bad weather, but mm-hmm. only like bad 
close but that's like really true like uh one time in the red it was snowing for two weeks i was like i don't know if noah's gonna go down and climb with me but there was this uh british girl really strong mina leslie mm-hmm. majestic i'm not sure if i pronounce it right but uh well she's british so we're kind of sharing the same mentality right. like there's no bad weather like she came down to the gorge and climbing me it was below zero we were putting the down pants over our harnesses and we taped the hand warmers on our palms and it was insane it was so fun like yeah so it's really easy to bond with british climbers and people who come <laughs> from <laughs> i don't know it's like right who are like just trying to climb in an awful weather yeah it's basically. i that's i mean i mentioned the midwest here in the u.s because i i often will walk by some you know, in Red Rocks, like going up a gully to one of the big routes, you walk by some giant boulder that's maybe has bouldering on it or doesn't. But I'm like, yeah, if that boulder was like sitting in Wisconsin, it would be like a state park. There would be <laughs> yeah. like, you know, it'd be like Grandpa, you know, Grandpa Johnson's boulder or something totally. like that. From Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting because that's what I think about when I think about some of these places where it's not sort of naturally big mountains, Alps kind of thing. Um, but But certainly the thing about Europe is it's it's quite easy to get from one place to the other and and to go climbing. Yeah. I mean, the Belgian climbers have proven that as well, uh, being some of the best in the world, you know, from this incredibly flat little place, but right next door to France or whatever. So is it easy yeah. to get around uh, from Finland into sort of the the parts of Europe that have yeah the brilliant limestone and the big mountains? Yeah, it's actually not that hard to just book a flight and go somewhere, but. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to drive for from Finland because we're surrounded by ocean, so we always have to take a ferry. So it's actually quite a long drive if you want to go by car. And before the pandemic, the flight tickets were, I mean, I think way too cheap. Like it felt so weird to book a flight to France just only with seventy euros. It mm-hmm. felt wrong, but. Yeah, after the pandemic, the flights have been a lot more expensive, so it's been uh, not as easy to just fly somewhere. And yeah, I mean, I I, I know that like the, the buying those tickets on like EasyJet and and Ryanair like a decade yeah. ago, you're like, it's a little suspicious because you're like, well, how can they run an airline like this? And if what, yeah. what where are they cutting costs to make these tickets so cheap? Like, are we getting yeah. all the fuel we need? Is everybody like looking at the airplane? Like, you know yeah, what I mean? Like it felt like it was exactly like I'm not gonna pay voluntarily pay more, but this seems a little yeah. Like, like I'm actually pretty happy that the flight tickets have got more expensive because it just felt wrong that the train ticket was more right. than a flight ticket. Right. Just, Maybe from an environmental standpoint too. Like, yeah, let's cool. make this a little bit trickier. Um, but let's, you know, I I think I have it down here that you started climbing in two thousand seven. Um, is that about right? Yeah, I was just actually thinking about that this morning because I was turning eighteen, so uh-huh. that must have been two thousand and eight. We're not that interested in being accurate um, <laughs> yeah. on this podcast, but um, there was a couple of things that I I kind of took out of a little bit of the media that I looked at was that. Um, First of all, you were a gymnast, which there's there's a pretty good history of, you know, gymnasts turning into climbing. I mean, most recently I talked to Amity Warm, who was a who was a really competitive gymnast for the longest time. You know, did that sort of play into I mean, how did that play into uh, you know, 
being introduced to climbing, you it sounds like you were just kind of daydreaming about it in a lot of ways after seeing some images. Um, but yeah, talk about like converting from like gymnastics life to to the climbing life and whether you went at the two things with the same amount of effort and zeal and what what was different about the two? Uh, well, uh, gymnastics was a really strict sport. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I found climbing, I, it opened like totally new world. I felt like... I can still do like amazing things with my body, but no one's telling me what's right or what's wrong. Like mm-hmm. there's no right way to do the climb. So I was like, wow, like no one's telling me like I'm doing a certain trick like wrong because mm-hmm. there was no rules. And yeah, I don't know. Climbing is sharing a lot of s- similar things as gymnastics in a way. I mean, I think one of the biggest lessons I learned from doing gymnastics was that if something happens, you have to do it again because otherwise you get scared or get a little traumatized. So oh, okay. that's I think that's what. So if the something biggest. happens, like like a near miss or or you fall. Or- yeah. So there's a lot of like mental aspects in that sport. Like you have to really learn how to control your mind, and I've been really interested of uh, training my mind recently because that's only how you can like fully use your physical potential mm-hmm. so i've been yeah i've said like all of hazel finley's podcasts like yeah she's my climbing monk oh really <laughs> yeah yeah does she know that i've told her oh, okay. yeah she knows <laughs> yeah <laughs> but i don't know if she really knows how uh how big her impact has been uh-huh. yeah so what does that look like in your actual climbing i mean you're listening to these podcasts trying to pick up tips from her guests and from her um but how do you like literally translate that into your climbing i've actually wrote a lot of her sayings down and if i'm having this last day pressure i'm listening her podcast over and over and it's actually really comforting like i love her voice her voice i mean her voice is amazing and her accent i know it's (laughs) so great like the whole package um, I could, I mean, we, I've told her this to her face and ha- when she's been on my podcast, it's just like, I could listen to it. I don't care what she's talking about. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Like I could just listen to her Me too. Days. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think it's kind of a maturity thing. A, a lot of this mind training is where whatever reason, when we were younger, it was just like a deep well of try hard and psych and you could just throw yourself at it and not think about it twice. And then It's like we kind of, I don't know if it has to do with aging, specifically physically, like where we're maybe feeling some limitations of our bodies, where we sort of need this new bag of tricks, or if it's just simply a realization of of, uh, wasted sort of effort that you maybe had when you would just like wildly throw yourself at something. Um, Do you get what I'm meaning? Yeah, 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 yeah. So tell me about a little bit about like how it's changed your climbing, this just this mental approach. Well, I feel more calm. And when I was younger, I had way too many emotions. There was too mm-hmm. much involved. Like if I fell on a road, I, it meant something bigger. I was feeling more. But uh, since I've got older, I got kind of like not emotionless, but I don't care as much. I mean, I mean like I'm trying hard, but it, I realized that it really doesn't matter. I mean, as long I'm... Uh, focusing more on performing well than mm-hmm. the outcomes. So that 
had made me um, a lot more relaxed. Like, um, and I think like after trying something really hard and learning how to let go, that had made uh, red pointing the roots a lot easier. Like you kind of have to go through that big struggle before you can actually like relax on the other red points. Like uh, I remember that years ago I was trying 198. That would have been my first. And it was so, so, so hard. That was like my first hard red pointing process. I was like, okay, now I know what's this all about. Like I did some AT pluses quite, I mean, relatively fast, but I never experienced something uh, that would be like two season project. Mm-hmm. And I was trying this 150 meter route in Oleana and I fell from the last crux for like eight times and it took 45 or 50 minutes to go up there. And I saw that the weather was going worse and worse. It was raining all the time. It was getting really hot and I had this pressure. I really wanted to do this climb. It meant a bit too much maybe. And I was more focusing on that outcome than the actual process. You you mean like learning process and that kind of stuff. But I learned so much from that little struggle bus. Like after that, if it, it's been easier to red point things like all the routes have felt a lot shorter and <laughs> yeah so it was yeah good to go that through what was the outcome on the route on Ileana Ileana well, I, <laughs> sorry Oleana. well I remember that we were waiting to get that little breeze like for the whole day <laughs> and when that little breeze came I actually wanted my my ex uh to try his route I was like you you gotta try now. Like mm-hmm. here's the breeze, and he did his route. That was that was sick. That everyone was happy. We were because we we were all in that same struggle. Like mm-hmm. we were suffering that really bad weather. It was like raining and really hot. And when it was my turn, there was like no breeze at all. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I give it a try. And then I was in the final rest, and I saw box like flying on that crocs hole it was like shit <laughs> like this is horrible and then i i didn't like dry fire or wet fire i like bug fired basically right. and i was like okay well at least i i knew i gave my best and right. that was actually the first time when i felt relieved about leaving spain like usually i just like oh i i feel like extending i want to stay here but this time i was like i'm, <laughs> I'm so over done. this shit i gotta go yeah and <laughs> when we uh, walked in the plane it was pouring rain right. i was like see ya <laughs> and actually daniel was still <laughs> in only not trying his <laughs> rig right. it was horrible yeah and then we came to rifle and I, I don't know if I've ever had such a good endurance. I mean, I didn't get pumped. And that was the trip when I climbed Zulu in rifle. Mm-hmm. It was like, that was my nemesis. I've, I found that one harder than, uh, what's that HC everyone does before Zulu? Um, I can't remember. Either. Yeah, but that was way more easier for me than the Zulu. So I was, I was pretty psyched. And you, I got at least that one. Nice. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. That's funny. I mean, yeah, that that whole kind of like pattern that you get into with projecting where either you plateau both mentally and your and your high point, you know, it's like you just keep 
you're stuck there. Yeah. Um, but it's like such this thing. And, and, you know, your life is more full of these sorts of battles than mine is. I've, I've, you know, notoriously been a sort of 10 try guy. Like after that, I'm like, I'm over this route, but I've gotten beyond that and get into this like routine where it almost is like work. Right. Yeah. You're like, I'm checking in, I'm, I'm clocking in at the base, <laughs> yeah. you know, to do my thing. And yeah, it's interesting, but the, the whole giving or the whole like being okay, I suppose, is what you would say with like falling or failing or, 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 you know, as opposed to throwing a fit or like thinking your life is over and, you know, your climbing career is done and yeah. because you just fell off at the wrong spot. I mean, that is a sign of maturity for sure of, of like just you know, looking at the world around you and realizing what matters and what kind of doesn't matter, yeah. so to speak. Yeah. But you, that's something you've had to work on. Yeah. It took yeah. a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, and yeah, I've, I feel like a happier, as a, I mean, more happier climber mm -hmm. when I'm over my thirties right? than I was like, uh, on my, I don't want to say peaking years, but yeah, when it's I was, over. You're done. That was that was it. 22 was a great year, and you're always yeah. gonna remember it. <laughs> yeah, but it's crazy that like only six months ago I did my hardest route ever, mm -hmm. but I've already kind of like not. I haven't forgot it, but it feels like it's been ages ago. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, you sort of like you you feel. I feels like you went from like learning to climb. Or getting, you know, finding this gym that was like three hours away from your house or something like that. Um, and you got pretty good pretty fast, you know. And, and then also you've got this landscape in, in Finland where um, it's probably like, again, easy to stand out. So there's, there's probably a little bit of that. Like that was your first five years of climbing, just getting better and better and better and always improving. And that's also this like moment of maturity is when you know, you do either slow down in that, that massive progression where every day you're like feeling a little stronger and a little better and you're doing a harder route. Like how people deal with that is also an interesting mental game that, I mean, honestly, a lot of people stop climbing like really early because they loved that fast learning curve and then it slows down and it's not as, as fun anymore. Um, but I mean, I don't know, do you feel like you progressed quickly when you, when you first started to really dedicate yourself to climbing? Yeah, I, I did, and it was mostly because of my motivation, right. and I, I just absolutely loved. I mean, I still love climbing. I don't think I'm ever gonna quit this quit this sport, and and I also just love the challenge. And uh, you also have to kind of like failing in mm -hmm. a way, like so, because like if you get a plateau, it's not some i mean you should be okay with it and what's the word uh like study like i mean i mean like the things what's behind it what might have caused it and i don't know but when i got my like first plateau i was like meh what is this but it wasn't uh a big plateau like right. i think it was more mental like there's not that many like really strong climbers i mean right now there's a lot of strong climbers in finland but I was like pushing the boundaries in Finland and mm -hmm. at some point I I was climbing a lot of like 8Bs and stuff but there was still some like a mental barrier like I didn't try 8B plus because I felt like that's that might be too hard and there was no one who uh, climbed an 8B plus in Finland I mean there was a lot of guys but not really women mm -hmm. but 
when I went to South and I met some Americans and later they became my friends and they were climbing really hard. And that's when that mental boundary kind of like broke. I just got inspired. I was like, hey, that that route looks fun. Can I try? And I had no idea how hard it was. And that's when I realized that, oh, I can actually climb harder. And so I jumped from 8B to 8C plus in six months or something. So it was just all about, I don't know, the mental boundary. That was really exciting to like, exciting to witness. I mean, like, uh, more and more surrounded with really strong climbers when I started traveling more and, Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's a it's a interesting narrative because it sounds like you, you know, you had to break out of your bubble, and that's like a yeah. common word we use for it. And I think climbing is rife with that, where people, you know, you're comfortable, and you know, you were you were receiving plenty of praise, I'm sure, for for your accomplishments, and it was probably easy to just yeah, say this is good enough, you know, I'm I'm doing really well here. But then, not not like you were seeking, but someone you know, just getting examples of other ways to do things and other ways to approach climbing and yeah. and have fun with it and, and uh, like seems to have helped you break a few barriers. Yeah, and seeing really strong climbers like falling on easy routes was actually really helpful. I was like, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I don't want to have anything to slow me down, you know, like all the pressure and like what if like, everyone's watching and I might fail on this like I don't know easy route that I should be doing but the thing is that you don't have to do it on your first go like it's okay like I don't know after seeing those like 9a plus 9b climbers like failing on (laughs) some like stuff they should be doing right uh, it was actually really helpful that I realized that you don't have to there's no should yeah, there's no yeah. shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I mean, is there like an old is there an old history of climb like Finnish climbers that you you were like building on? Is there, you know, like we have you know, the golden age in Yosemite and all that stuff. Is there like an old history that you knew anything about and You mean like just an out area of or No, just like of of, you know, heroes from the olden times in Finnish climbing. There is. Yeah. Yeah, that's actually this one Finnish documentary uh, called Kylmäkivä. It's uh, it means cold rock, mm-hmm. and there's actually some like really old footage about uh, old Finnish climbers, and most of them are still climbing, and they're climbing in Yosemite mm-hmm. and Bishop and Joshua Tree and all those places. And one of my heroes is actually the CEO of our climbing gym chain and mm-hmm. yeah he was the first one who did a b routes and bolded hard stuff he was the first uh really strong sport climber in finland but before him uh there was this alpinist called matti <laughs> and he actually did some very first boulders in finland he was just well Back then, there was like no pads or anything, so sure. he was just climbing with his alpine boots on, and they're really hard. And he did some first ascents in the Dolomites, and one of the most classical lines is actually called Via Finlandia. And yeah, he was—I'd say he was the first mm-hmm. climber in Finland. Like the, of of any note, that's yeah. I was just curious if there was like a a tradition of of like you know 
where like in the US or or in in the UK, you know, this like pushback against sport climbing and bouldering and bouldering and like you need to do this the roots in this style or they don't count in that. Was there all those rules like floating around when you started or were you just not even interested in or were not aware of anything like that? Uh well It seems it seems like Finland is a place of tradition. Like yeah. in, in your normal life, I think there's a lot of like it seems to me there's a lot of traditional ways of doing things that are kind of seeped in the old way of doing things. Oh, right. And I was wondering you, yeah. if that like extended to, to climbing. Yeah, uh, that's actually a pretty good question. I mean, well, the climbing ethics are quite different in Finland mm-hmm. if you compare to some other countries. Like most of the routes are quite spacely bolted. Mm-hmm. That was because uh, we were trying to change the rock as little as possible. So... That's why they're like really spacely bolted and there's no fixed draws and you kind of like, but there's obviously like um, some lines where people have left their draws, but it's just nice to like take take all the draws down Mm -hmm. just so that the cliff looks more natural and like chipping is like the worst thing you can do. Mm -hmm. Like people there's i don't know if there's oh there's actually this one really old school place where it's actually some chipped holes but uh, that's like not cool like we didn't do that in finland yeah. yeah there was a moment in european climbing where where there was a little bit of a of a, a time of chipping before yeah before sport climbing like before they realized like what we were capable of in this weird way but like some yeah. of the old competitions even they would just chip roots to for the competitions and things like that. But I th- it feels like every every climbing uh, community has its its reckoning with chipping at some point, and it's uh, the, no matter which one it is, which where it happens, there's this moment. Yeah, and, and a couple roots get chipped, and and now they are like our symbols of what not to do. Yeah, it's just part of history. Yeah. I'm glad that's ha- not happening anymore. But yeah. Kind of not happening. Every once in yeah. a while it happens, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I I again like I'm just trying to kind of color this picture of of coming up in, in Finland. Yeah, the uh, the climbing scene was really small when I started. That mm-hmm. was basically just that one gym. Mm-hmm. And there was a couple of uh, gyms which which were not commercial at all. And yeah, and all the steel trains in that little gym. Like it's <laughs> it's like a private little gym and now there's uh 10 commercial gyms in only in Helsinki wow that's insane I mean like the climbing has grew a lot mm-hmm. in Finland it's like a really big sport but it still doesn't get as much of attention as the more traditional sports which is unfortunate like this might be this like a I don't know if you heard but <laughs> you're having this like a rubber boot world championship competition i mean he'll like throw your boot as far as you can you like th- that might get more attention than climbing but it actually like when uh nale did his uh night boulder and uh will boss later that actually broke the news and that was in the biggest newspaper in finland oh, wow. so it's yeah right. yeah and when i was in spain also my first 9A was in the newspapers and that was weird. Like, no, climbing has, hasn't really get the attention. It, 
But now it's, yeah, climbing has just got so big that right. now it's finally getting more Well, that's attention. fascinating. I mean, none of that yeah. stuff would, would get in the news here in the States. You yeah. know, we have, we have yeah. a much bigger climbing community, so. Yeah. Yeah. But um, I, I got to back up here with the boot throwing thing. <laughs> oh, my God. We have so many weird sports okay, you don't so. see anywhere else. <laughs> Tell me what that is. I mean, it's throwing a boot. Yeah, you're is like... Is it like it, a regulation boot? Like it, it's, it's like a, a football? Like it's it probably comes, like... It, it has there has to be, to be this, a regulation boot. You know boot. Nokia? Yeah? Yeah, so sure. Nokia used to make boots. So okay. it has to be this Nokia boot and you're in a small... So wait, wait. Just, Nokia, like the electronics yeah, and actually, phone company used to make Finland. boots. I knew yeah. they. I know yeah. they were from Finland, yeah. but I didn't know they used to make boots. Yeah. So they've been around forever. Yeah, so yeah. that's how they started making it's, phones. <laughs> yeah. It's simply that, hucking a boot. Yeah, there's also a competition where you have to throw a Nokia phone <laughs> as far as you can. <laughs> <laughs> have you ever uh, participated in a boot throwing contest? No, but I like to. I like uh, throwing things. <laughs> Well, you know, there's always that next life for you, so when, also you when you get tired of climbing. Swamp football, I mean, swamp soccer and wrestlings. And right. <laughs> sounds so fun. I never yeah. participated in one, but. Right. When it's cold and dark that long, you come up with these things. Yeah, I think. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's it's no wonder, too, that there's that many climbing gyms. I mean, that's also a great sport for indoor climbing is amazing when it's cold and dark yeah the season is really short yeah the best time to climb in finland is spring mm -hmm. and the spring has just got shorter and shorter all the time and whenever spring comes i'm not gonna climb indoors at all sometimes i feel like maybe i should go indoors like i haven't been there for a month but then i realized that the weather just changes rapidly so it uh gets from really nice cold and crispy to really hot all of a sudden and then this fall has been awful it's been just rainy and when it hasn't been raining the uh humidity percentage has been over 90 wow. for over a month and now it's just snowing so yeah, <laughs> yeah so that's why we are climbing a lot indoors right. and well i mean the th same things happen in colorado with the spring like mm. the spring is it's cool it's like snowy and then it's cool for like nice spring weather for a week and then it's hot. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. I mean, it's definitely a, a, a sort of casualty of climate change um, with the way things are going. But um, so I, I have a question here. You know, this is always an interesting question for me is about becoming a professional climber. Um, but with you that, you know, I, I heard this word or, or read it somewhere about being shy um, and, and, you know, where that sort of translates in into like becoming a climber of note you know you said that you were you were climbing as hard as any woman was in finland at the time um which i imagine like parlayed into becoming a professional kind of slowly like usually it happens where you get a few offers and and you know here's climbing our shoes and then you know then it turns into this life that you have now which is which is you know highly professional so talk a little bit about a shy uh somewhat shy girl becoming uh, a professional and if that was difficult choice for you if it's been a learning process um that kind of thing it's been a huge learning process like uh well uh when i started climbing it obviously it changed me like i got uh more open because i was surrounded by 
different people and I became friends with people who were a lot older than I was. I was like, oh, this is fun. Like we're all sharing the same passion and mm -hmm. it's uh, putting us together. And yeah, so that opened my bubble, obviously. And I didn't speak any English like when I started climbing because I uh, learning languages has always been really challenging for me, but that motivated me to study harder English so that I could communicate with other climbers from abroad because that's when I also started traveling more and Loon Hills uh, book and I yeah it was a struggle to read that through because I I just um, understood just half of it mm -hmm. <laughs> pretty much but yeah um, the way how I got supported as a climber um, it's pretty much started with little things like I got shoes and gear and uh first I got some like really like quite small sponsors but so I kind of like build it slowly and I never imagined that I could do this as for a living so that wasn't my goal I just wanted to get uh some maybe one trip maybe supported and that wasn't ever like my intention I was really grateful or that little help I got and so I was like studying working climbing and living this like normal life and I've always been super passionate and I think like when I went to Seuss and I was just climbing from I was the first at the cliff and the last one mm -hmm. with my friends and that probably just caught someone's attention like who's this girl <laughs> like this, she's climbing like I got lucky I think I just met right people and the sponsors uh, I have they started to support me because what I am so I didn't really aim to right. be professional I just I think I just got lucky <laughs> yeah right yeah. well you know you make your own luck is the the way it goes and you know that kind of sort of work ethic around climbing and and being psyched and um, and also you were, you were quite good at it. So it's, you know, yeah, so it, it all just kind of comes that that's kind of reading about you. What I, I sort of thought with that trajectory, um, what, what else were you doing at when you were 18? You know, you, that's when you said you found climbing, what, what was, you know, if that didn't work out, what was going to happen, so to speak? What was plan B? I um, didn't have also? any plan B. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I mean, what, but what were yeah. you into? Like as... I mean, it's aside, we mentioned gymnastics, but that maybe was not also a career path. Like, what was your dreams your parents had for you as a as a as a young woman? Well, uh, my parents have always been super supportive. Mm -hmm. Like, they'd be like, "Hey, do what makes right. you happy," and they're both like really highly educated. So, mm -hmm. you actually, my twin brother I felt like he would have some Ooh, you kind have of a twin brother. I have a, tw I'm oh, a twin. Right <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> For some reason, he was feeling uh, a little bit of pressure to mm -hmm. get an academic education, but my parents like never gave any pressure. Like that's that was amazing. What was the question? What was Plan B like? Or plan what, what, B, like you oh, know, yeah. you're, you you found you're at eighteen, right? You're yeah. you're you you. Uh, I mean, I don't know if it's the same in Finland, but that's you know, graduating high school here, you you have to start making choices: college, working. Right, what yeah. what were your you know, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh, this climbing thing's fun. But it, you certainly at 18, you weren't like, that's, I'm going to be a professional climber. So what was Anna right. thinking like, oh, get a job at, you know. Well, after high school, yeah. I <laughs> I was working at the gym. Uh -huh. uh, that was my first like real work. But before mm -hmm. that, I was 
uh, I don't know what what is that job when you're trying to sell things. Oh, a telemarketer on the phone. Yeah, I was doing some really crappy jobs like before I. (laughs) Yeah, that's a shitty job. (laughs) Yeah, everyone hates you. Exactly. It's awful. Yeah, so uh, I worked at the gym and I was having a little break before going to the university and. Uh, I've always been really into geography and when I got into university I was studying uh, geography but my major was geoinformatics but that was also related geoinformatics (laughs) it's like basically it has um, I don't know how to say it in English but well you can also do like um, crazy 3D maps of the ground surface for example and use that for to see uh, if there's a potential area for avalanches or that kind of stuff. Yeah. But yeah, that was actually also related to climbing. Like I was really interested of this ground surface models and I used that to (laughs) uh, search cliffs in Finland because I didn't have a car. And uh, so my only way to look if there's any, anything to bold or Mm -hmm. do first ascent. So I just put that, data into a computer and I made this like a 3D model and if I saw this like an error which was like TIN uh, network I knew that it's steep there oh, was really? a steep cliff I was like shit yeah uh, yeah so, <laughs> so it's really hard to find any right. new cracks in Finland sure. so it's been my long time dream to boulder road and next I mean, last year I found this new line, I bolted it, and it's like my baby. So like, yeah. it's really rare to find anything new over there. Yeah, so I don't know. My plan B was, plan B was uh, basically doing... I mean, that was plan thing. A at the time. Yeah, that was, yeah. 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 It was but, like, I'm climbing, it's, yeah. but that's not my living, so I got to I gotta go ahead and do this. Yeah, but climbing has always been mm-hmm. like really time-consuming for yeah. me. Like It's been the biggest thing, so everything was kind of just build around it so but yeah when I got my first like really big injury that's uh I wanted to have a break from school and I realized how important it it is to me like be able to do things with my body and be healthy so I'm still on a on that break right on <laughs> so, from yeah. school <laughs> yeah from school because I realized that I always love studying right. I love I absolutely love school and studying but that was never my goal was never to get out of school. Right. I just it was more like my hobby. Right. <laughs> so that's yeah, I think it was it was a good idea to have a little break because that's when I realized that I never had a plan to get out from university. <laughs> just like hang, hanging there. <laughs> it's pretty fun. <laughs> it is pretty fun. If you can, you know, if you can make it work. Yeah. Um well let's let let me switch to that because that's also um Part of my thinking is, you know, you uh, the gymnastics thing, if you were serious about it um, or how serious you were, but it teaches you a lot about training. It te- not, not necessarily how to do it, but just, you know, that, that that's a part of excelling. And um, it seems like you're also pretty into and comfortable training. Like that's a, a big part of, of your climbing life and you're okay with it and you're good at it. I don't know. You're, you're, I used to feel, yeah. like, I mean, I used to train super hard, but right, it always yeah. ended up with an injury. Okay. So now I'm more like uh, focusing on bigger picture because mm-hmm. I know I've learned that there might be an injury a right. year. So so injuries, uh, let's, you want to just do a, a laundry list? Because there was a few oh, years, man. it seems like that was, was uh, pretty brutal. 
Yeah, I yeah, I, I mean, feel like I did it start with the ankle? Yeah, I started with that. Yeah, I just did my first uh no, it was my second HC plus. That was in Oleana and I was in the be- best shape of my life and week after that I fell from a high boulder and totally broke my ankle and that's when it started. Like I got a really big injury once a year. I was like, damn, like I need to get out of this cycle and I don't know what happened. Like most of the injuries have been they've been just uh they've been just accidents. Like mm. there was pretty much nothing you could do. Like uh one really weird injury I had was in the red regards when I got a draw uh draw yeah. through my finger. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, like how? I saw that there was like in one of those films they just flashed to the picture of your yeah. hand. And I was like I mean there was a bandage on it, but still so so yeah. like he slipped while clipping and it No, I was actually yeah, it was uh the whole route was totally wet, so I had to put new ticks and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. So uh I'm not really used to this uh thing you do here in the States. Like you put uh yourself in indirect mm-hmm. so that the belayer can rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like yesterday I actually forgot that I was indirect and I was climbing this hard crux. I'm like I'm happy that I didn't fall because I would have Right, you were just on, on the back. draw. You would have taken like oh, a, yeah, a so, twenty-inch, uh, like nasty, yeah. hard whipper onto the draw. Yeah, yeah. yeah so that's that. like uh, something we don't do in Europe. So I'm still like kind of learning that. So, but in the red, I put myself in direct, and when I needed to get higher, I put the draw to the highest carabiner, and I know somehow I was thinking that if it goes on my finger, it just lays on there, you know, and then I just take it off. But it went like straight through like, uh, like yeah through the flesh through yeah it was Ugh. like it was like a crime scene i was like screaming and all my friends thought that i sent right, <laughs> they, they're like yeah, they, they ran, they, they're like ran down they're like yeah. hell yeah <laughs> and i was just looking at them and it was just like blood like throwing you're slowly like, yeah. turning white <laughs> yeah it was like lower lower and everyone's like what's going on why is she screaming and she's not even at the crux and yeah, when they saw what happened, they were like, oh, my God. And they tried to find something to uh, stop the bleeding. And all we found was this little dirty kid's sock. <laughs> I was like, oh, my God. Like, I might get some something nasty from this. Yeah, and that's when I drove to ER. I was like, oh. Yeah, but I was, but I was thinking about Tommy Caldwell mm-hmm. while I was driving. Sure, was like, but he, he's fine. Yeah, he's yep. fine. Maybe yeah. better. Yeah, I thought that I'd lose my finger, and I was like, but yeah. he was he was climbing the strongest. What finger, finger. was it? It's uh, actually it was your one. oh, it was your know. your we, ring finger? Yeah, your ring finger. Yeah, we yeah. actually call that. We don't call that ring finger in Finland. It's a nameless finger. Nameless? <laughs> How do you? What does that sound like in Finnish? Nimeton. Nimeton. Yeah. No, no name for you. You don't count. <laughs> it doesn't have a name. <laughs> it's like, it's, yeah, useless. <laughs> it's a useless finger. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it is. It is. That's well. That's what I was gonna say. At least it's that one. Your useless yeah. finger. Your no name finger. Yeah. It's actually. It should have a name because like I really like back three crimps. Oh, okay, yeah. So it's actually more important than and the it, index. And did it recover like? I took actually a while until it felt normal like the draw but really close on this one nerve so Mm. I got this like electric shocks for a while yeah but yeah I was really lucky I only got like nine or ten stitches Mm. and 
I got the stitches off like two weeks. Uh, two weeks after. Okay. Yeah, and I was in really good hands. I when I uh, went to the ER in, I think it was Lexington. Yeah. Uh, I was surrounded by climbers who oh. were surgeons. I was oh, like, they, cool. these guys know. And this one surgeon who was a climber too, like he called me and he was like checking out. I was like, in a very good hands. Yeah. That's cool. Grateful. And, and then you kind of, you blew up your wrist too at some point. Oh yeah. The wrist was the worst injury I've had. Like I broke my ACL and all that kind of stuff. But the wrist thing was uh, what actually made me to stop competing because I was training really hard for uh, the world championships. And yeah, so there was a massive bleeding inside of my wrist and they couldn't make made it stop. So I basically got that from hanging too much. And the orthopedic, he was so psyched. <laughs> he was like, this is, never seen this happening before. I was like, dude, like chill down. Like this might end my career as a climber. Right. Yeah. Don't get too psyched. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, how this can happen? Yeah. So. So basically you hung so much and with such force that yeah. you, and that's why he was like, no one would do, most people would let go. Yeah, like, right. uh, that's the year when I found... That's how I avoid injury, by the yeah. way. I just let go. <laughs> just let go. Yeah, so that's actually the year when I found this Max Hanks, you know, the Eva Lopez, like, 10 seconds on, and yeah. So, and I tried that on slopers. I was okay. like, okay, so uh, my weakness is pinches and slopers, so maybe I just do the Max Hanks on slopers. But that's when, when you're hanging on a sloper, your wrist is a lot, it's not as stable. Right. And this bone I have here, it's a bit longer than this one here. So I have, I might get that again. So that's why I stopped competing. Because if, I, if I'm if i competing, I want to do my best. I'm like training super hard. And when they couldn't make that bleeding stop, um, they gave me this uh, brace. And they said that if that doesn't help, they might have to make the wrist like... It's not moving anymore. I don't know what's mm. the word for it, but fuse it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that wouldn't be the end of climbing. And they made me to do this uh, choice between uh, if I compete or for maybe two years, and that would be it. I was like, it's not worth it. No. Yeah. So that's why I also started climbing more outside and. Because uh, training was really hard for me for a couple of years because I was really worried about that first thing coming back because that might come. So that's why I've been avoiding slopers, but now it feels fine. So yeah, so I just want to climb until I'm really old. So that's why it was really easy for me to stop competing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The interest in the outdoor climbing, yeah, that's, there's, I think... For anybody who's climbing a gym or competing, they have to eventually make a choice. Not totally everybody, but it comes around. So you chose the enjoyment of climbing outside. Yeah. Like when I started, people were still able to combine both outdoor climbing Mm -hmm. and competing. And that's what I did for a while. But then uh, I remember that it started to get harder and harder. Like you, if you want to compete and do well, you really have to kind of like not stop climbing outside but reduce it a lot because it started to separate so much it climbing started i mean competing started to feel more like gymnastics like you really 
have to start when you're really young and just climb outside. If I mean inside, if you really want to good, uh, be good at it. So yeah, I I mean I just get more. I miss competing. The scene was different, and when I was competing, I saw friends that I didn't see at the cracks, mm-hmm. and but I always got more from climbing outside right yeah well you can always like make up pretend competitions in your brain with all the people around you whether <laughs> yeah. they know it or not that's yeah. always fun like yeah. you know like oh i'm gonna climb better than that guy over there <laughs> yeah. kind of thing just to keep you going i'm just saying yeah you know it's probably not a healthy thing to do but i think we all do it i'm gonna climb better than that person <laughs> yeah right now in front of them um i think the more interesting part of of talking to you about injury is is you know, what you, well, we started this talking about your mental game, trying to work with that, trying to delve into that more as, as you've matured as a climber. What about who you are when you, you know, when you're in the throes of these moments, are you, do you stay positive? Do you get dark? Do you, I mean, what are you, what does Anna look like when she hasn't climbed for this long because she can't? Well, I've usually got back stronger, a lot stronger because it grows motivation and makes me realize how much I love climbing. But the latest injury I had, I think it was, yeah, it was when I broke my heel and my calf bone in the bishop. That was hard. Like I was so tired of getting injured. That was the first time when I didn't have that you were like, why God? Fire? Yeah. Yeah, like, like screaming at the sky, kind of like, yeah. why me? Yeah, but right. like this time, I wasn't feeling that fight back fire. I was just, oh my God, like not not again. And that was hard. Like I thought that I lost myself. I didn't recognize myself anymore. I'm, I was like, where's that fire? Like I was waiting that fire to come, but that was actually really important lesson like I wouldn't take any of my injuries away because I've always learned so much about myself and how to overcome uh with injuries and it has always changed my attitude and made me uh a better climber too so it's always been actually I I wouldn't take any more injuries but I've learned plenty I'm good I mean I've learned a lot from these injuries (laughs) but (laughs) yeah so um like if you don't learn anything from the injury it's pointless so you kind of make that time count so yeah so what happened I mean you were like just watching tv and eating candy, drinking, Basically, and then you're like, like, <laughs> you're like, what happened to get out of that thing? Is there well, like, like a finished drink? Like every country has like some terribly awful alcohol that they all take their pride in. What is it in Finland? Oh, what, what is it in Finland? Not that you drink. I don't even know if you drink, but. Like, I don't know. Like we have this Finlandia vodka, but no one really drinks it. <laughs> yeah, they, they, you can buy that here, actually. Yeah, yeah okay. I saw that. Right. Yeah, yesterday. Yeah. At the no, start. these guys, this friends from Slovenia gave me this like wine-ish thing. It was just terrible. And then there's like Pisco in Chile. There's like, I, I just feel like everybody has this like awful alcohol that they make oh. they make foreigners drink just oh, to like, yeah, yeah actually, to, to like watch them cringe. <laughs> we have this like, a, uh, it's like a grapefruit drink with an alcohol like we call it longero and when sean was in finland trying this uh burden of dreams mm-hmm. he found this drink and he felt in love oh, with that right drink. i was like damn 
okay like i don't know that drink just disgusts me like <laughs> i have so many like i don't know bad memories <laughs> so like it's just so fun to see someone really enjoying it okay anyway back to my original question and we went on a tangent like i said um but yeah what did it look like to break out of this like this lonely feeling of like i've lost the fire it's gone out i also lost my motivation which was uh, something I never experienced before. But that was uh, important because I learned how to get the motivation back. So like uh, when people ask like, how are you so motivated? I actually, like this time I actually knew how to help people to get motivated. I realized that part of losing motivation at that time was related to like being strong and perform well and Mm -hmm. get, hard roots down and I kind of lost the inner motivation so that's like brought me back to where it all began like I found the love I mean the motivation back because uh, I found why I loved climbing it didn't matter like what the grade was I just loved the challenge and yeah that's like helped me to get over with it like but I also had pr- a lot of pressure because when I was injured and I was trying to get back in shape and I, I went to climb on some boulders, I I felt like I had pressure because like everyone was watching me. Sure. Yeah. And so first I was like training kind of like secretly because I didn't want anyone to see my fail- myself failing. So, but one day I was like, I need to get over with this because I can't this is not sustainable. Like I, I want to train. It's just like you yeah. and Nale in the middle of the night. That's it. <laughs> it's just, it's like, just two of us. There's him and <laughs> yeah. me. Lonely times. It's like two in the morning. <laughs> yeah. He's just getting there. Yeah. So, but, um, yeah, so I actually took that as a challenge. Right. I was like, this is actually fun. Like I hate, you know, like this mental pressure. I just hate it. But, when you take it as a challenge, it gets more fun. Mm-hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm going to just go to this full gym and just fail like in front of everyone. And I went to try this, like, it was, I think it was only like V6 boulder. So nothing like crazy hard. And I couldn't do it. And I was talking with this one guy like, hey, like, how did you do this move? Like, it's so hard. And all he did was that he was staring at me and he was like, you should flush this boulder. You're a professional climber. I was like, <gasps> he said it out loud. Like, Whoa. oh no. And then I actually went to pack my stuff. I was like, I wish this would have not happened. Like I was, I feel, I felt so sad. And then I was like, I got this fire. I was like, I'm not going to let this happen. Like he, that guy can not tell me what I should be doing. And I went back and I <laughs> failed <laughs> on that boulder again. I was like, and then I said that, I don't have to flash this one. Like, there's no shit. Like, I'm injured. So, like, let me fail. So, and that's how when I became more relaxed and I was, now I don't get it pressure anymore. Right. So, like, yeah, that's when I also got interested in this, like, a mental part of climbing because, like, I wanted to deal with the pressure. I mm-hmm. wanted to get better. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. Well, it's, I think that's fascinating because you're, you're not just a good climber, but you're a professional climber. And then, and aside from what other people think of you, you know, this, this fucking jerk that said that to you, I mean, you have an internal, like, I need to provide value for these people that I've signed these contracts with. Like, I mean, there's no climber who doesn't 
or no professional climber who doesn't occasionally worry about her performance. And is this the end of this career path that I have when you get injured or whatever else? I mean, those are just normal thoughts because it's how you pay the bills and you know, your whatever your fan payment or whatever it is that you have from your professional <laughs> life, you know? So, I mean, I, I understand like that kind of pressure, but the pressure from like the public that that's, that's the kind of weird one because I don't, I don't know. I just don't feel like professional athletes. I don't know. There, there's more to what you provide than than just sending the V six in the gym in front of us. You know. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure there's like thousands upon thousands of of women who are like, she's my girl, and I I don't care what she climbs. Yeah. You know. Like no one cares really right. like how you climb, really. Like right. that's I really like comfort comforted to um, notice that everyone's already thinking about their climbing and already having pressure like how what people are going to think about me mm -hmm. so they don't have time to think about your little failure or maybe if they I mean they might you know I think, think they about, do I they think do. there's like lots of people on the internet who definitely care <laughs> yeah. but it's whether you care that they yeah. care is what it matters you yeah know? like if I, I know that there's people who care but then they haven't probably climbed that long that they mm -hmm. know that there's bad days and good days. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't care anymore. Like if I, uh, if I like uh, a week before uh, we went to rifle and I knew that my endurance just sucked, but I didn't want to have anything to slow me down. You know, like that pressure and people are watching. Like, I don't know. I just came here to fail and learn and get endurance. So like I just like I uh I guess I could have more pressure, especially after sending my first nine A. Like mm -hmm. everyone's like, You're gonna flush this thing and I'm just like, mm, probably not, but I try. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just I feel free now. But it I had to go through a lot until I Right got into this, yeah. Rifle is one place where no one cares how hard you climb. Because they really don't. Struggling. Yeah, they no don't care. They're so like in their own world. They have yeah. no time to care about you yeah. and what you're doing. Yeah, it's just climbing is so. I, I mean, I love it. I love it there. Like yeah. even doing the warm ups mm -hmm. is like, it's not obvious that you mm -hmm. do it on your first go. I mentioned just you know offhand that like there's there's thousands of women out there that find inspiration from you you said like oh i don't care what people think of my climbing necessarily or i don't care if they care however we want to put it but what about like the responsibility of of that you know and i've talked to um climbers about this a lot like you have i'm sure young girls in the gym who look up to you even if they don't know you that you're sort of i'm sure like a, a bit of a, a hero to a lot of young girls that come up and climbing like how do you take the responsibility of like your conduct as a bit of a role model, whether you like it or not? Well, it's still really hard for me to believe that I might be someone's. Oh, come role on, really? Model. Yeah, it's like I'm having this. Uh, what's the word like when. Uh, Imposter syndrome? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I okay. have that. Like yeah. whenever I'm teaching. That's your a next mental, uh, whatever <laughs> yeah. thing you're doing next is to have yeah. Hazel Finley help you get rid of that. Yeah, Hazel help me out. <laughs> yeah, so. So I understand. Sorry, I interrupted you. It's but, also, yeah. I don't know. It still feels weird that I'm flying across the world and teach a clinic. I'm like, I don't know if I have anything to give for these people. And, and last 
I think it was, yeah, last summer, uh, we had this film premiere in Finland and some kids came to me and they were like, you're like, like they were really shy, but they mm-hmm. still wanted to get an autograph. I was sure. like, this is weird. Like, I'm, I don't think I've ever, um, ever get used to it. Yeah, it's just, I don't know, I always had this normal life. I've just been climbing and I don't know, it feels like everything happens so fast, even mm-hmm. though I've been a professional climber for six years now, but it feels like... It's not something I've used to do. Yeah, like uh, one time I was just traveling for two years and I, I was basically just climbing. That's when I decided to have that little break from school. But it just felt weird. I was like, uh, like what are you guys doing all day? And they're like, it's just chilling and <laughs> stuff. And well, wait, what do you mean? I mean, oh. like the American pro climbers. Oh, right. Yeah, like the pro climbers scene in Finland, there's actually no scene right. at all. So it's... In, it's really lonely mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're trying to be a professional climber in Finland. Like in when I was spending a lot of time in Colorado, it was a lot easier because pretty much all everyone was some kind of a professional climber. Like there was always people at the gym on the afternoons and everyone's going to rifle or wherever they want, wanted. But during the pandemic, so I was like, here's no one and I can't go abroad. It's just, and I didn't have any work and I wasn't, doing pretty much anything for a year except climbing outside because uh, we weren't able to climb in, in the gym because of the pandemic. Like, right. yeah, so everything was closed for a solid year. And But when the gyms opened, I was like still helping our customers to find shoes, even though I didn't even get paid. Right. <laughs> but I've always needed... Like I need to be <laughs> useful. Someone, yeah, someone, <laughs> like, like, give me something to do. Yeah, like, <laughs> I just always used to do something right. besides besides of climbing. So um, that's when I realized I, I needed something to uh, give me some balance. Mm-hmm. Like, and uh, studying... Uh, working a little also helped me with not getting injured. Mm-hmm. If I don't work anything, I'm just climbing. I always get injured. And now I've had like pretty solid four years without any injuries. Nice. Yeah. So, yeah. It's just because I uh, be more focused on the bigger picture. And yeah, and I've been helping at the gym a little. And that's been really, really good for me. I got an in-person interview here with, because you're here in Colorado. Me right here in my neighborhood, so to speak. And uh, what's your trip look like this time? Well, uh, you were saying how you hadn't been to the states for more than a few days at a time for a while. So yeah, like yeah. this is the first longer trip I'm having after the pandemic. It's like my last longer trip to the states was four years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so my first trip to the states was just only—I mean, it was a year ago. I went to Bishop just for four days, <laughs> and. Uh, it was like a Mona Hardware supported right, trip. I was going to say it was a, a professional yeah, thing. Yeah, it yeah. was like a, yeah, it was like mostly work. They were like, are you sure you want to come here just for four days? Like you might have just like one day or two days for climbing. I was like, I want to come. <laughs> yeah, so I flew to Nevada and drove for five hours. Didn't sleep at all. I was just so excited to be back and see Bishop even just for a couple of days. Yeah, and a couple of months after that, I had the athlete summit in california and i was there just for four days yeah so this is like the first long trip after the pandemic i'm pretty excited i'm what, gonna be here what's for, on the yeah what's on the on the menu 
Well, I'm gonna be here for two months in total. Uh, I started at the Chose Valley. I was there for almost a week, and now we've been climbing in Rifle for a week. And it's actually, yeah, I feel like I'm having three different trips in one. Because you're going out east then? Yeah, yeah to Red River Gorge. Cool. Good to be back. What's, uh, what's the deal with the cooking, uh, your cooking page? That's old. I have, like, <laughs> I haven't updated that one for a while, but I think it started after like people just got really interested in how I make my oatmeal. Your oatmeal. <laughs> yeah. That's how it started. Yeah. So I t- had to write a recipe from, uh, for a blog and yeah. And, oh yeah. I think there's some recipes, uh, from, from that time when the pandemic started, like there was nothing else to do. <laughs> that was the year when I didn't do anything. <laughs> yeah, so you started a cooking blog. Yeah, so okay. there's like two recipes or something. Right. Uh, I didn't go that deep because <laughs> I always do that. I go to I go to professional climbers' websites and they're, and then I first thing I always do is click over to the blog to see yeah. when the last time they updated it was. And yeah. You're, your climbing blog is was updated in 2019, so um, wow, yeah, but that's normal. Yeah, um, that's actually pretty recent for a lot of climbers. So yeah, I actually put yeah. uh put a couple of new videos there. Okay, and yeah, it, the video part was updated. Yeah, yeah. and a couple of new routes. Okay, cool. That's it. Yeah, but the but the the cooking page is languishing. It's not nothing's happening over there. Nothing's happening okay. over there. Maybe later. Yeah, yeah. it's another it's avenue to explore yeah. later. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But now I'd be like pretty much offline. Like people have been wondering if I've disappeared, but yeah, there's like no service in rifle. Right. That's yeah. true. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Unless you have Skylink, but Skylink's gonna ruin places like that, in my opinion. It's nice to go into a place and not have service. Yeah. And I, like now I feel like I'm on a holiday. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm not working twenty four seven, but I I have to like show my followers that I. I'm alive, like yeah, you know, yeah, like so. I, yeah. yeah, like doing stuff. Don't pull a nale. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you got to stay with so, it. But uh, I don't like if I don't post anything uh, on my stories or whatsoever. Like for two days, people get worried. Yeah. It's kind. Of, I. It's nice. You see, people it's do. Nice. They do care about <laughs> they, you. Oh, and they so, do follow you, and they are inspired by you. So you're not an imposter. That's so. Uh, yeah. No, thank you. <laughs> so, but. Yeah, but uh, when I opened my phone, actually, I saw an email uh, from this Finnish climbing magazine, and they already asked, like, what are you sent? I was like, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Let me be. <laughs> it's nice that people care, but, but seriously. Like, can you ask me how I'm doing first? It's like, <laughs> like, are yeah. you having fun? <laughs> They hate when I, when like, uh, when they usually like send me an interview, they're always like, hey, what great and how many tries. And they hate when I'm like, oh man, that trip was so fun. <laughs> <laughs> Give me some more details. All right. Cool. Well, thank you. Anna. Thank and you. I'd like to do one last little thing. I need to think of a question that you can answer in Finnish because um, I want to hear what it sounds like. So, um, Let's see. <clears throat> Tell me a little bit about going through passport control in the airport when you arrived here in Finnish. No, se on aina vähän jännittävää. Siis uh, mä odotan, että mä oon sinne takahuoneeseen ja 
letuskivupuhelimen niin yksi kerta, kun mä olin vain yhden päivän Suomessa, niin mun puhelin tutkittiin, kaikki mun kuvat käytiin läpi ja sitten kaikki mun viestit mun jenkkikavereiden välillä, eli on se jännittävää. You had no, any oh, idea? Yeah. No, hopefully you didn't just tell me to fuck off and tell me my, <laughs> tell me my podcast was shit. <laughs> you could do that. I mean, I wouldn't know. I'd be like, wow, she's so nice. She smiled all the way through that. Ei ollut hauskaa ollenkaan. Kiitos. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And thanks to Anna for getting that one done. Coming to the house. Sitting down. Enthused. Fun. You want to hang out with her, don't you? I think she might be open to that, hanging out with you. And if you want to find out more about Anna, you can follow her on Instagram, Annalina Lightnin. That's two eyes and Annalina. She's also at AnnalinaLightnin.com. You can find her somewhat defunct cooking blog over there. Nice recipe for oatmeal. A couple of other things. I was hoping that there'd be like some recipes for like weird pickled fish. I'm sure the Finns eat some sort of strange pickled fish. All cultures seem to have some pickled thing that only they love. Or a uh, dubious fermented item, something fermented that stinks to high heaven to the rest of us, but they love. I have an ex-girlfriend that used to make kimchi in her house and I can handle some mild kimchi, but boy, when you make it while it's still, uh, you know, doing its thing, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> can kind of clear the house for a few days. All right, we're off to the gym here in Green Bay, Wisconsin this afternoon, which means only one thing, belay test time. I'm already nervous. I'm already thinking about the teacup and the and the other thing with the Grigri that everybody does that I don't do. But I got to get it right. I got to be humble, courteous, quell my nerves, and of course, check my knots. Finland, let's see that native dance. Smile more. Work that pelvis. No, too much smile. Sit down. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.